Okay, we're starting. We're starting. Hello? No single word in English renders all the shades of Tosca. At its deepest and most painful is a sensation of great spiritual anguish, often without any specific cause. At less morbid levels, it is a dull ache of the soul, a longing with nothing to long for, a sick pining, a vague restlessness, mental throes, yearning. In particular cases, it may be the desire for somebody of something specific, nostalgia, lovesickness. The lowest level, it grades into ennui, boredom. So what was that? That was, that was wonderful. Did you write that? Yeah. My name is also <laughs> Vladimir Nabokov. I changed it. Uh, yeah, you're also a pedophile century. and you wrote... <laughs> is he a pedophile? Well, he wrote Lolita. Uh, not 18th century, it's 20th century. <laughs> I just, I had no idea. <laughs> just, I just assumed there was some old yeah. Russian guy. Yeah, no, he's uh, relatively modern. He wrote in English, too. Um, he moved to the U.S., I think, at some point. Um, cool, so that was what we talked about. Wait, what What, pod, what are we even doing here? What's this podcast? Never from Concentrate. Welcome. All right, all right, all right. Welcome <laughs> to another episode of NFC. Uh, we're at podcast number nine. Um, we're keeping up with the number system of the Game of Thrones episodes. <laughs> Intense episode this week. <laughs> yeah. We're at the, at the wall with the whites and the white walkers. I haven't seen number nine, so don't spoil anything. Oh, sorry, number eight. Usually yeah. it's number nine. That was a crazy episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but number eight is the... the second last one. Yeah, yeah. Because they had the, the Battle of Blackwater, I think, one year. Last year was the fight in the wall with the Nance's army. That was episode nine, but this year was episode eight, which was the, the crazy stuff. I read that. There's exciting things ahead. Don't get me wrong. Okay, okay. Don't don't give it away. But I, I read that uh, apparently uh, George R. R. Martin is trying furiously to finish uh, the next book before the next season comes out. Yeah. So before next March, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Which, even if he does the last, so I think they're going to do seven series, seven seasons. The last season will definitely come out before his last book, which is going to be coming out in like 2020, yeah. whatever it is. I don't know, there was some like, I think there was like six years in between a few of the books. Yeah, it was insane. How much? 15 between the first okay. and the second. Producer Elise is saying uh, four, 15 years between? Okay. Yeah, it, uh, my uh, friend of mine actually read the books like in sequence. He's a little bit older. He read the first book when it came out. And has waited in intervals of every single year. So, for this, for him, this is a huge moment. Yeah. You know, six years before that, you know, five, seven years. And uh, apparently, the last couple of books were lackluster too. So, so do you, do you think uh, did he have any sort of hardships in his life that made the, some of the other books really good? Well, it kind of shit he writes. He definitely is that some tortured imagination that has gone to some pretty destitute areas. I can definitely. <laughs> Do you, project do you, that. Do you think he projects himself onto um, uh, that one character, the fat guy with who killed Sam? the White Walker? Yeah, Sam. I'm pretty sure that's George R. R. Martin. Sam is George. Yeah, because he's like he's like really you know intelligent, but he's obviously well read. Yeah, well read. Clearly not a fighter, but at the same time, kind of like a hero. Like. You watched his uh, sex scene, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's his uh, highlight into George's life. <laughs> When he was a young boy. Sex scenes are so ridiculous. And there was a, a northerner that came to <laughs> yeah. Canada. Because he's from Philly, I think. Is he right? Yeah. yeah. The successions were only like two years and five years in 
Okay, so we got two years, five years, and the biggest uh, recent was six. Yeah. The the biggest uh, uh, gap between books was six years. That's still pretty. That's a lot. Like, it, um, what's her name? Um, my girl Rowling, Rowling, J.K. Um, she she whipped out like the Harry Potter books, you know, once every two years. Um, when they got successful too, and that's tough to do because she could have just rested on her laurels and chilled. It depends on their writing style too, because I think he he knows where the end is, but he doesn't know exactly where they're gonna how they're gonna get there. I don't know if she follows the same idea or she's had the exact plot written out, and it's a much more granular like get point A to point B to C to D. I know he's like he like figures things as he goes and things. Characters get created, plot points get created in the midst of his writing sprees. So uh, I think we've become now like a TV podcast. <laughs> We're just going to discuss our favorite TV shows for an hour <laughs> once a month. Silicon Valley was great. <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, get it. Oh, okay, I promised you a joke. You want to hear the joke? Yeah, of course. Okay. What do you call a Mexican who robs a train? What? A locomotive! <laughs> Why did you say that with an Indian? I don't know. I couldn't. I tried to do a Mexican. Came out Indian. Uh, do, do, do Mexican. I can't really. I just can say. Locomotive. That's still Indian. Is it, just say este after anything. Este. Take hey, that locomotive out of there and bring it back up behind. No, I just came Caribbean. So. <laughs> yeah. um, it always trips me out that Indian food and West Indian food come from cultures that to me seem totally different but they were both invaded by like, the British, the British. <laughs> yeah uh, um, well they were the they were the slaves that went to the West Indies right people that stayed in India were slaves there right yeah and then they got freed I don't know their whole history interesting interesting you Sunday know, afternoon apparently Jamaica is a hotbed of vegetarianism in some parts it's all that reefer they smoke up there. <laughs> yeah. Down there. I saw like a documentary on Usain Bolt and like his little town apparently. Like there's a lot of people who are like, the reason why I run so fast here is because we feed them like good papayas and shit. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like they only eat natural like good stuff, not not like processed things. Anyways, um so what it, like, getting back to the to what we talked about in the last like month and a half. We've been late with this podcast. I've been traveling. Um, we tried to record a, something in Vancouver when I was in Vancouver. The bustling common room. In the bustling common room. And you were in your bustling uh, bedroom. Uh, but it didn't work out. So now we are, I'm back in Toronto. Uh, we're back in uh, my uh, apartment, which this might be the last podcast we do in this apartment. Yeah. Yeah, this is where it all started. Man. I remember sitting right here when was, we talked about vegetarianism. Yeah, it, was, it was there on the bed. I'm pointing towards this futon that was pulled out, a shitty old <laughs> futon that I haven't slept on since that day, abandoned yeah. for the couch. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be the last one. But uh, yeah, so this whole sadness and art, right? So sadness if we're a little sad about art. it, maybe we'll we'll get in. We'll, this will be Get a really inspired, good podcast. Inspired for a good podcast or a next good topic <laughs> yeah. run. We can't be too sad, though, because then we won't be creative. Right. Yeah. That, was, uh, that was a point that was made in one of our posts, I believe. <laughs> okay, so let's let's uh, recap. So basically, I started by, um, you read a quote 
by Nabokov. I'm going to read a quote by um, another uh, very acclaimed writer, Queen Rexy of uh, Utube. I think it's pronounced Queen Rexy. Rexy of Utube. <laughs> Utube? I'm not sure. It might be Mexican. Um, but she says, so she comments on this uh, music video. Uh, she says, I know this is awful, but I'm kind of hoping that his girl breaks his heart and his band breaks up. What would Van Gogh have been if he hadn't been so damn depressed? I think Justin just moved on from Bon Iver because his life moved on. I doubt he'll ever be back in that place where his music is all he has. As a man, I wish him all the best. As an artist, I hope he's starving. I really like that last sentence. As an artist, I hope he's starving. I thought was really powerful. Um, I think I said gravitas. <laughs> the last sentence stood out for it's gravitas. Um, and uh, that's kind of like a, I, I want um, Arnold Schwarzenegger to say that, like, gravitas. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, as an artist, yeah. I hope he has starving. Gravit- <laughs> gravitas. Gravitas. <laughs> looks up to the skies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, in, in that, I think, uh, to me, sort of strung a, a particular chord that sounded <laughs> nice. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about whether or not we think artists um, do need or uh, can benefit from periods of sort of intense emotion and uh, sadness and loss and things like that. So and I think, like in the next post, I brought up something about like the the point at which you become creative and when you're depressed, you're not actually there. But beyond that, I think what was my point that I wanted to make is that not everybody is an artist or strives to be one or strives to want to produce something in that, in that way. And there is not everyone's a horse. That doesn't mean they have to run the Kentucky Derby. Like, (laughs) yeah, for sure. For sure. And even within the, so that's one point and what I wanted to narrow down even within that the ones that are are there aren't talented artists for the most part it, it's there most people are you can claim are untalented or don't produce things that are great I think you're claiming right now what? I think you're doing that claim right now <laughs> <laughs> you can claim <laughs> so it, that, like the the question of hoping that upon people or wanting to experience that yourself to produce something better isn't always a clear like I get it that a life with just experience with pure you know joy and bliss is almost it's boring it's not it's it's unrealistic it's not it's anti-human right you want some you want a, a plethora of experience to draw from in just life like it, it makes you appreciate the good times and bad cliches almost yeah but if you're if you're getting to a sense of worth, like would I would I ever bestow that to somebody who experiences that pain to for them to produce a little bit more art? I don't think so. It's a very it's it's easy to say that when you're an audience member, but, but see, I I don't know. I think because I was just trying to get at the idea. Like you're right that maybe you don't want to. It almost sounds like you're wishing people um, pain or something like that. But so. It's similar type of theme, but we didn't really talk about this, is not just artists, but say, like, Malcolm Gladwell has a book, David and Goliath, which I haven't finished, but I know the gist of it, <laughs> um, which is that sometimes it's useful to be an underdog. There's certain things that you can do that 
um, uh, basically are advantageous in that position. Um, you know, people don't expect much of you, and you can use certain things to your advantage. Um, and also, sometimes, uh, you know, one man's underdog is actually the person who had, is not actually an underdog. It's just people perceive them to be like that. So with artists, too, it's, um, I think, um, maybe, like, we, we think, you know, you, you're in a state that maybe we shouldn't be in, but really is it, it maybe you don't want to be in it, but, but someone who's creative does want to be in it because they want to experience that side and they want to go there and they want to try to convey something and tell a story. I'd also like distinguish, I think there's a, a difference between like you, if I, you know, slap you across your face, you're going to feel some physical pain. Or if you break up with your girlfriend, you're also going to feel pain, the physical pain. In what if she mental, slaps you while you break up? That's, you know, double whammy. <laughs> you're going to feel all kinds of pain there. <laughs> She slaps you in other places, it's even worse. But if you experience, like the type of pain or anguish that's often described with mental illness, that's a so the correlated, which we something we didn't mention, but it's correlated with a lot of creative people and a lot of creative thought. Isn't that isn't isn't that same? It, it it doesn't expire in the same way that that does. Like if you have a breakup in that way, it's a lot more relentless and it's a lot more. It's like the difference between wasabi spice and Indian spice, or like ghost pepper spice. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, you're at a lot of capsaicin units higher. Yeah, right. And it's capsaicin, by the way. Whatever. We'll say capsaicin, and then yeah, fifty screw, years from now, yeah, 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 screw those prescriptivists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna say capsaicin. I'll just I'll describe. Yeah, but it's it's a it's it's not it's a lot more relent, relentless in its pursuit into your soul, and it doesn't necessarily always translate into you romanticizing it. Like that's one of the that's one of the things that I think we brought up at the end was we always talk about balance and balancing these abstract dichotomous ideas. You know, we have a little bit of Tosca seasoning to make your life interesting versus or, or like versus not having anything at all. Like the, a little bit is like the balance that you're going for. Versus in one end you'd have you know complete pain and anguish, and one end you'd have one end happiness. Like the and, cinnamon challenge. The other end is like water, and the middle ground is like a cinnamon bun. Right. Exactly. But to get to that cinnamon bun, you have to almost romanticize. You have to romanticize and imagine it, and hi, like the, the way that I I said is you. It's like hindsight storytelling. Things happen to you. You strive for that balance, you strive for that seasoning, you romanticize this breakup that you had or this, you know, spell you went into for a little while and you came up with some beautiful set of poetry, music, whatever it is that you produce. You're saying in the moment it's hard to do that. It's in the moment it's hard and it's also it's harder to do to romanticize, I think, with people who have mental illnesses that persevere it's it's not it's a lot more relentless it it keeps coming up it's it's not something that yeah you have this objective pain that will go away like a slap and the pain that comes as a result of the slap will go away five to ten minutes right so it's it's that's a serious slap. Five to ten minutes. I slap hard, man. Don't, <laughs> don't fucking... Like, seriously. Get your ass whooped. Fuck around. We're earning that uh, parental advisory rating we have on iTunes right now. Oh, oh yeah, we're rated R. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, God, shit. Fuck.
<laughs> What's that one? Blink sign? Gunshit, fuck, suck, cock, suck, motherfucker. George Carlin says, yeah, says yeah. It's all, like, a little bit about that. Yeah, Seven words, I think. It was FCC band. Yeah. You weren't allowed to say. Yeah, then they made it into a song. Yeah, um, yeah so, I mean, I, I think I agree with you on that point, but I, the you seem to, like, one of the things you, even right now you're saying is sort of you're highlighting the world mental illness, and I think you're right. Like, if it becomes an illness... Um, then it's that's sort of the the line where it, it's not helping. I mean, that's even that's even yes, we've you know there's science behind mental illnesses 100, percent but it's not it's nowhere close to being exact. Like that's a word that you throw on there, and the way that it's described, yes, there's brain chemistry information that you you take from, and it is genetic, so there is some uh, you know objective variables that you're looking at, but it's still like symptoms like. You know, how do you feel? Do you on a scale of one to ten? Sure. Yeah. How crazy was this set of, you know, experiences for you? Probably poor choice. Use crazy as a word to describe mental illness, but you get my point. It's not. It's not exact. These are just words that you're using. For the most part, it's like I, I, I. For me, I. I think I experienced depression for at times, or even some mania at times. It runs in my family to some extent, but then there are times where I'm like, am I just making it up just because I feel lazy at times, like, and I just get a little bit sad. It doesn't, it, it, it feels so arbitrary. Yeah. You know, it, I get that there's a science. I studied psychology in undergrad too, but it's, at the end of the day, there are words and it's hard to really define. So it's hard to say that, you know, you tell somebody that they're, they're saying that they're depressed, but like, no, actually, from the symptoms that you experience, you're telling me, <laughs> you just you're not stress. depressed, <laughs> you're just a sad, lazy asshole. <laughs> like, it's a hard thing to distinguish in those circumstances. So, so, so what are you saying, then? That, that means that... I, I, so one thing would if be... If it's hard to distinguish, then what? One thing is that I would not wish... I disagree with Queen Rexy. I would not <laughs> wish that upon anybody for the sake of production of art. I mean, it's it's a nice consequence. And two, I agree in 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 the one point of yes, there has it has given me at least in my own romantic hindsight storytelling some more appreciation of different experiences that I've had or a, a better sense of life at some times, and it's interesting. Sure, so I do romanticize it to some degree, but that was part of my point at the end too that I don't think everybody does do that yeah and whether if they're an artist that we're trying to narrow the conversation with they probably are more or people who are inclined to producing art are more inclined to romanticizing in that way um, but not everybody does and it sucks for them it's like I, it's, it's, I would wish less less of it upon them I don't know how to say it properly didn't uh, Taylor Swift have an album where she like she broke up with somebody and like that was her whole album was just like she was just saying, like, yo, I'm an independent woman. This, isn't there a song called I don't know. I'm not... Uh, I'm just saying, I think a lot of... You're the Taylor Swift expert amongst our duo. Ever since so. I subscribed to Spotify, there's, like, no, no T-Swift. <laughs> no T-Swift. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just think you're right. But at the same time, there's just so much... There's this common thread in a lot of different, like, forms of art. Um, where the inspiration comes from that place. But that's, I think, like, that kind of misery is, it's, there's a quote from, 
I don't know where it is. I think it's, is it just from Louis? Uh, if, if it's Louis, you know, stole off some guy, but he said in lies, said it in the, um, in the show. No, Louis, the television show, Louis C.K. <laughs> uh, misery is wasted on the miserable, meaning that people who experience misery don't appreciate the consequences that led to that misery and how beautiful it is, like a, a heartbreak, to be in a place of heartbreak, that in and of itself shows you love. That's part of love and experiencing love. So that's not even, that's not, I wouldn't even describe that if you're, I don't know if it's exactly with Tusca or like exactly that kind of sadness, but that's that's almost beautiful in its own regard. It's not that same kind of, Pain That's exactly what I'm saying, though. It's it's not. It doesn't have to be that pain. I think we talked about this in, in the podcast, and that's right in the post. That um, pain is a just like you said. It's it's just like illness. It's just a word. How do you know you're experiencing pain? How do you know when a doctor says one to ten, like what number to pick? <laughs> Yo, that's like a, I just pinched that's you. Like an eight. <laughs> no, so Are you experiencing pain? <laughs> you know you're experiencing that pain. There's your answer. Um, so. I like I, I don't know. I think it's it's I guess there's some common theme here and it's really hard to pin down, really hard to say like at what point is it, you know, really detrimental to your health and at what point is it just part of like a natural complete human experience. And that that is what I think is interesting to discuss. At what point is it detrimental to your health and what point? Well, it I guess it's detrimental to your health if, you know, you become unhealthy as a result of it, and your life becomes unbalanced. But what does it mean to be mentally unhealthy? Like, it's it's easy to say, oh, your BMI is in this range, but what does it mean to be mentally unhealthy? So that, that's often what people, like, when you were getting diagnosed for anything like that, it, it depends. It it The way that they pro- give the prognosis is how it actually if, affects your life or your daily activities that you do does it get into that does it affect your routine are you not you know having but anything affects your routine i know it's a hard it's a hard right it's a hard thing to to really diagnose i mean there is a diagnostic and statistical manual that has specific criteria but it's Based on, I guess it'd be interesting to, to look back at it. Yeah. I completely, I, I think I took it in one course that I took, but I there's like forgot it. Books, right? That just list all the different disorders that you could have. Yeah, it's called the diagnosis. DSM it's, or something like that. Yeah, the diagnosis and statistical manual of mental disorders. Right. So I think it's at its fifth one. Right. Um, right. So I mean, we're not experts, so we shouldn't really discuss it too closely because anyone listening who is an expert. <laughs> All, all of you uh, are going to uh, be really upset that we don't know our stuff. But okay, so here it is. I googled it. Okay, go, okay. go. So this is for major depressive disorder. So specific symptoms: at least five of these nine present nearly every day. Depressed okay. mood or irritable most what of the day. What does that mean? Depressed Wait, let me mood. Finish it. Let me finish all the nine. Begging the question. Yeah. Nearly every day, as you indicated by in the definition, I know it's terrible. As <laughs> indicated by either subjective report, feel sad or empty, or observation observation made by others, appears tearful. I think that's an example that they gave. Appears the tearful. Yeah. What? <laughs> Second is decreased interest like or pleasure in most activities, most most of each day. 
significant weight change, 5%, or change in appetite, change in sleep, insomnia or hypersomnia, change in activity, psychomotor agitation or retardation, uh, fatigue or loss of energy, guilt or wor- slash worthlessness, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, concentration, diminished to ability to think or concentrate, suicidality, things, thoughts of suicide. Okay, so, so there's very, like those are, but the, like I've experienced all of those maybe except for the last one. But is it nearly ways. every day? Uh, maybe for stretches for like a few days sometimes. I'm sure everyone feels like... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everyone so, feels... Just, it's, you know, that's... It's, uh, <laughs> it's a curve, right? So people in the middle still feel like a portion of these kinds of symptoms. If you're, you know, two or three standard deviations from the mean, you'll feel it to an extreme rest degree or an extreme degree, right? So major so, depressive disorder is called so, major... Right for a reason. So, so you know, I would be really interested to see. Maybe there is a study like this. Creative types or people who uh, their profession is to make art of some sort. Are they on one side of that curve or not? I I also so this was a this was an argument. I think I brought this up very briefly, but it was an interesting side point. Uh, there's an argument whether it, you can even categorize the major depressive disorder as its own thing, or is it a subset of bipolarity with like some mania like it's all within the same like if you have a spectrum of behaviors that you experience there is some manic behaviors that everybody experiences and some you know depressive behaviors that everybody experiences so when you have major depressive disorder you'll still like boost up on the other side maybe some people experience you know the mean with the mania side and you know, two standard deviations to the right and are very depressive on that side. So that was an interesting side point, but uh, I forgot what your initial question was. <laughs> Whether or not artists are on one side of that. Right. Category. So, they, yeah, they could probably do some tests to see. I, I mean, it, these tests are also... But that's what we were talking about, right? Like, if, art, if, if the successful, quote-unquote, artists are on one side of that curve, that means it's it's useful to be on that side of the curve because it correlates to them creating art that other people enjoy or somehow, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's what we should do. Call up your most successful artists. One, one, I think... By the way, sorry, did you did you see the Apple Keynote at all today? No. Um, so they revealed a bunch of stuff, including Apple Music. And uh, one of I the guests... No, it's like a streaming service that's going to compete with Spotify. Okay. Um, and one of the guys that came on stage was Drake, and he totally repped. Oh, I saw, I saw, like I follow him on Instagram. I saw him saying Apple Music something. So yeah, I, yeah. I guess that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. What so he came saying? on. He's like, I'm from Toronto, Canada, and there was, and there was like five guys in the audience going, like, "Woo!" <laughs> and then he probably Akash. He, yeah. He basically spun it like. The idea with it is that uh, like non-signed artists can upload their stuff and they will be just as accessible as any signed artist, right? Right. So it's like a way to, it's like apps or whatever, you know, it's a way for indie people to spread what they've made. Um, and he was, I think the, what he was trying to say is that, um, you know, I grew up in this like Toronto town that's not known for artists. But the funniest thing was that at the end, they had a special musical guest and guess who it was? It was another Toronto artist that's now becoming like really big. Um, the weekend, yeah, 
And they're like, oh, the weekend's like the biggest artist ever, and all this shit. Um, so I found, I found that really interesting because he he sort of spun it like you know I if I had this when I was growing up like this would be crazy oh, even like, though he was on Degrassi and like kind of upper middle class. And, but that's right. it's, I would argue that it's harder for him to become Drake and a mainstream rapper coming from Degrassi versus coming from the hood. Yeah, yeah. like you get oh yeah I'm from the hood you know and that's part of the yeah. culture game. Well, like started from the and bottom. Then, the music video he's like in a shopper's drug mart or something. Yeah, he's not in the hood. I mean he started from the bottom <laughs> of the rap game. Yeah. Completely different. It's true. Yeah. It's worse being like upper middle class and getting into the rap game. I just found out this. Today, did he put out some like mixtape when he first started that was totally just completely you know unsigned and yeah became that's really how successful? he became that's how he became Drake like there was two or three mixtapes that were just everybody went crazy for and then eventually got picked up by Young Money yeah. but I mean it's like that that when you said quote unquote successful that was a huge caveat like what does it mean to be a successful artist I mean it, it's it, it's hard to even define within each artist's scope like some people some artists would say that no i don't mainstream success is terrible that means i've failed right it's it's a hard world to really narrow down and define objectively within an already difficult concept to define objectively in science and mental illness so to try and really like mesh those two and give a definitive answer you really can't and that's why i think that was my that was my point with when you're trying to get this balance of Tosca or balance of these, you know... Um, you're saying the objective is unclear, so how can you even, like... Yeah, so it, that's what you have to romanticize a bit. You have to romanticize as an individual, as an artist. Yo, success is when you have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, let's make two Wikipedia... <laughs> let's make a never from God's page. <laughs> we can get, probably do it. No, I'll get deleted. Why? Because there's a certain, they have, like, that's one of their biggest controversies is, like, whether or not you can actually have a page. And there's, they have a certain set of criteria, which I guess we could try to manipulate <laughs> if we need someone. I've actually edited, like, at least four Wikipedia articles. Nice. Just to, you know, there's some grammar mistakes. Yeah, I'd what was that one you edited, like, with from you? NFC? Yeah. I forgot what it was, but I, it's so empowering. And like I, I forgot what it was, but if I go on my account, I can see my edit and be like, I changed, I, I changed, changed the knowledge. I changed the knowledge, knowledge of the world. That's crazy, right? Like just the the fact that the fact that you can do it. Yeah, actually, you know, there was some error that I saw. Yeah, I changed it, and that's that's pretty much like the first place people go to for pretty much like when's the last time you didn't go to Wikipedia for some new topic. I mean, for math, it's terrible, though. Well, I mean, for anything that's oh, like, not, been, can't, it's hard to describe in words. Completely, I, yeah. I just brought up the math thing because I had like nightmares of trying to deduce what the math theorems. In no, but it's in the encyclopedia, yeah. and math I know, I know, I know. It's it's very very formal, and like it yeah. assumes you know all like nomenclature of math. And yeah, blah, blah. I'm sure it's, it's great. If you fantastic. started with like the base article, like math, and went through it, <laughs> yeah. you'd be totally fine. What's one plus one? <laughs> yeah. You could probably that's, get to it. It's non-trivial. There was yeah. like a famous um, Principia Mathematica that was in the 20th century that took like 400 pages or something to get to one plus one equals two. And it was like... Wasn't period, that Bertrand period. Russell's whole thing? Yeah. Like, yeah. he wanted to do that, and then yeah. Godal was like, yeah, you can't do it, bro. And well, was like, shit! You can still try to do it, but you'll always miss some stuff. Or yeah. it will be... He, his goal was to do, like, to prove all possible theorems. Or yeah, he wanted to axiomatize. Axiomatize? Make everything axiomatic. 
So start with a few axioms and prove everything else. Yeah. And you can't do that. That sucks. Yeah. Yo, I had this great... This might be a future topic. I think we should bring it up. This is kind of unrelated. I think we basically said everything we can say. Uh, what are you, you're looking at the time. 32 minutes. Pretty... Yeah. Made some good time. Um, but I just had this thought. So you, uh, did you read about American Pharaoh? No. You don't know about American Pharaoh? No. It's a horse that just won the Triple Crown. Oh, right. I heard about this in PTI. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So first time since 1978 that a horse has won the Triple Crown, which is his three races. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. in quick succession, so it's really tough. Most horses tire out for the third one, and they have fresh horses at the end. Anyways, it won it. And the whole... I was looking at it. I was going... I had like a Wikipedia, you know, like chain of yeah. like horse racing. Um, and... I just thought, if you look at the analogy between horse racing and F1 racing, there's it's very direct, right? Like there's a horse, there's something that moves, and then there's um, a driver or a rider, jockey, a jockey. But in horse racing, it's weird. Like they talk, they give the names to the actual horse, and the jockey doesn't really get that much credit. Whereas in F1 racing, the the driver gets all the credit, whereas the engineers engineers and and the actual machine gets very little credit. But if you think about it, I mean, maybe the driver does have more influence. I mean, he definitely does have more influence. But still, at the end of the day, if you have a slow car, you're not fucking, you're not going to go faster than another faster car. Right. So it's interesting to me, like, where, what is the difference there? Because with horses, it's... They should actually, instead of uh, taking away Lance's seven titles, give it Give his, you know, biochemical engineer sub credit. Yeah, like, go yeah. back posting like, all right, you guys. Everybody was doping. Anybody yeah. who was in, like, but he the didn't top, get caught until like, right. So anybody who was in like the top five of the podium and all the Tour de France's and like the last, even before I think Lance's era, that was like another doping era too. Like the last like two decades, just everybody was. So you just go back and be like, who was your guys? Who are your guys? You know, Lance's guys, they get some portion of credit. These guys get some portion of credit. And funny Maybe. enough, also, we, we never talked about this, but uh, performance-enhancing drugs in horse racing. Do you think... I, I've actually never heard of this, but I'm sure they must do some sort of testing, right? Like, because you can yeah, probably... test out horses. You can probably inject, like, random steroids. And, and like, there's get, a lot like, less, like, crazy horse... Crazy stuff with horses. Like, you can... They're horses. They're not human, so they're yeah. not going to be as crazy with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Really it might be hard to contain. And like, what if performance-enhancing like, drugs with horses? Yeah. Because yeah. so the funny thing is, I never knew this. I looked this up on Wikipedia. Every famous horse has like a, their mom and their dad and their step, uh, their grandmother and their grandfather on Wikipedia because they breed them, and so you can see their whole lineage. So they'll be like, it's called like the grand mare, or no, the, um, it's like there's a sire, which is the dad, the grandsire, which is the granddad of the horse. They have whole like lineages, which is insane to me. It just seems so archaic, but they still do this. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, the, that's part of producing great racehorses. Yeah. And by the way, I checked it out and it was, there is drug testing. It's called equine or equine drug testing. Like uh, from uh, equestrian? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's a coin, and it was introduced in 1988. So they t- they like yeah, make a, pee. a bunch of different tests that you do for stimulants, tranquilizers, bronchodilators, behavioral modifiers. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. So they do have P 
PED testing. That's a whole different PDT. angle we didn't even explore in there. Like with, well, what other is it? Well, what I just think it's interesting that people with? feel that the horse is now, because it's living, it sort of gets the credit, whereas the... Are the horses sad? That's what we should end off with, because we're getting really sad. Okay, okay. Can horses be sad? Uh, I think so. Okay. <laughs>